0: Today I'll be reading for Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 9. Just as a reminder, the previous chapters have shown the rising jealousy that King Saul has against David and his, his plots to try to kill David. Uh, he threw a spear at him, literally trying to, to pin him to the wall. And then he pursued David as David tried to hide. He pursued him to his own house and then to uh, uh, pursued him as he tried to hide with Samuel and then uh, even tried to thwart the plans that David had uh, through his son, Jonathan. His rage turned against his own son. So David decides to flee from Israel and to hide from the rage of King Saul. Listen now to 1 Samuel 21. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to be to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doag, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I brought neither sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business requires haste. So the priest said, Sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it t- to me. This chapter reveals some very unflattering weaknesses of David. This is the one who is called the man after God's own heart. And yet in this chapter, we have, have to look at what must be called some of the low points of David's life. There will be others, but in this passage, we find that David's on the run. After David left Jonathan, it appears that he fled with little more than the shirt that was on his back and a few companions. He first sought refuge with Samuel, God's prophet, and then he turned to the kingly office and his sworn friend Jonathan, the prince of Israel. And in this, we see some elements of, of the faith of David that's being shown. He turns to the, the institutions of God to try to find refuge. And the same is, is likely true here, that he turns now to the priests of God. We find later in chapter 22, verse 10, that David inquired of the Lord there at the tabernacle. That was a function of what the priests were to do people of God could go there to inquire of the Lord. So it may be that that David recognized God's institutions and the help that was given there. It may be that he also recognized that his flight was going to take him away from the nation of Israel, and in so doing, away from the presence of the Lord represented there in the tabernacle. Later, we'll find that he mourns over that, that he longs for the worship of God. He even pants for it, like a deer panting for water. There may be these these elements of faith underneath the surface, and I hope that you'll keep that in mind, that David is a man of faith. But this passage, this text, has more the telltale signs of fear, desperation, and of self-preservation that come through it goes from bad to worse in fact i wanted to deal just with this first uh, first portion before going on to the end of the chapter where david does actually leave israel and the chapter ends with david among the philistines among the enemy and he's pretending to be a madman with drool dripping down his beard and it makes you think is is this the same man that we saw earlier in 1 Samuel? Is this the man that God raised up to fight against Goliath, the giant? There we saw David rushing to battle against the giant, professing his faith that the Lord God would deliver Israel, that he would deliver him not with the weapons of this world, but that because Goliath defied the living God, David was confident that the Lord would rise up and deliver his people. He was so confident that he wanted to make sure that all of Israel would know and hear these things. And that, and that the rumor of that deliverance would then spread to the nations around he understood that God had anointed him to be a deliverer for the nation of Israel. So by faith, he moves forward into that battle, confident that God would, God would bring deliverance through him. And that's why I say you kind of scratch your head here. Is this the same man who is now running and who will end up in the enemy's camp pretending to be a madman. He did run away, and there's some wisdom in that. It's right to de-escalate a dangerous situation. It's right to preserve your own life. But this this running does not radiate covenant faithfulness. Instead, it speaks of fear. And it poses several important questions What do we make of David's fear and of his really dubious decisions that he makes here? Where is God in these troubling times? And how does this passage shape our faith in Christ when we encounter many things that make us afraid as well? So in considering this, I want you to listen and examine how, how David's fear gives room for sin in three ways. I pray that you would hear this and understand that when unchecked, that fear gives birth to sin. Therefore, take your fear to Christ and ask him to help you to respond in right ways, humbly relying on his grace. So there are three ways that sin is born in David the first one is that David lied. When David appeared at the tabernacle, the the priest serving there in the tabernacle named Ahimelech comes to him, and says that Ahimelech was afraid when David was there, and he asks, "Why are you alone?" Ahimelech knew that David was the captain of was a captain of Saul's army, and that. He would normally, therefore, travel with his with fellow soldiers. That as he went on assignment, David would not be alone. That he was was there as a captain. It is also likely that Saul's vendetta against David is the rumor of that is is spreading. So Ahimelech, much like Jonathan, would come to understand that there was a choice that was being made here in David's presence. Whose side are you on? If you align yourself with David, then you do so at the risk of the king's wrath. So it's, it's understandable that Ahimelech would be afraid now that David would come to him. This is, uh, this is one who had been praised among the people, but now had fallen under disfavor, and here he is on his doorstep. What will Ahimelech do? And Ahimelech's fear now signals to David that he was still in danger, that there wasn't refuge to be found here either. And so he lied to Ahimelech when he asked, Why are you? alone, implicitly asking, why are you here? I'm on a secret mission for the king. I can't tell you what that mission is, but uh, my companions are, uh, I've directed to another place, and I need food. The need for food was certainly true. The next chapter, uh, it's, uh, it's reported that David did inquire of the Lord through, through Ahimelech, certainly an act of faith. But a secret mission for the king? That's not what David was doing. David had not been assigned by Saul to go anywhere. He was hiding from Saul by saying he was on a secret mission, he, uh, he brushes over the fact that Saul was hunting him and brushes uh, or, or, or disguises the fact that there, was, that there was hatred and that there was danger that was associated now with David. David had already ventured down this path of lying. He had asked Jonathan to deceive his father, about why he was absent from the feast in the last chapter. And now we have another lie. And I'll remind you that I have discussed in that previous chapter, uh, that uh, discussed about lying in general. I came down on the side that says that it's appropriate to lie in warfare. The enemy does not deserve the truth. There's there's an ethic and, and a long discussion about that. But uh, I'll I'll leave that for another time. The enemy does not deserve to know the truth. But in this case, Ahimelech was not the enemy. Ahimelech was the Lord's anointed. He was the Lord's anointed priest who had a function in the life of God's people and more directly a function in David's life. He stood as a mediator for him in the worship of God. He stood as an instructor of God's people in this aspect of going to inquire of the Lord. That's a phrase that the next chapter uses, and it's a phrase that's used in many other places. You can look back at the institution of the priesthood and say that this was one of the things that they were to do. You could go and ask God's direction for your life. As I said, Doag observes that and says that that was why David was there. Again, a matter of faith. And and David has these, the, the, the mixture of fear and faith is going on in him. And the fear gives voice to this lie. Disguising the danger, disguising his running from Saul. So he says, I'm on a secret mission. And it's understandable on one level. He is running for his life, literally running for his life. And yet in his fear, he lost sight of God. I want to pause in each of these sins to, to, to recognize our response to fear and to urge you to see how fear can plant the seeds for sin and give room for that to grow. and To give a way of applying this aspect of faith in the midst of fear. So as a child of God, I want to urge you to recognize that way that fear works on you. And how it can, can narrow your vision of what, what, who God is and what he is doing in your life so that all you see is yourself. And so you begin to make decisions that have in mind your own interests. So uh, maybe you recognize this. Have you ever been caught in a situation where if The truth be known, you will lose face. You will look bad. So you lie about what was going on here. You cover over what you have done so that you don't look bad. Maybe it's something innocent and you're just embarrassed by it. More often than not, it's... uh, it's that you've been found out in a sin. And you cover that with a lie. And cover that with another lie. And another. Maybe the children know the veggie tale, the fib from outer space. It may be a generation before the children. Now I see some of the, those who were who are raised on veggie tails nodding. They, they know the fib from outer space. It's a little lie that grows bigger and bigger and bigger until it finally consumes. And fear does that to us. We, we cover it. We think that our reputation is actually something more to protect than God's reputation. and This is going to be a common element here in David where he elevates himself and elevates himself in such a way that it diminishes God and his glory. And then these sins become more and more understandable and, and easier to fall into because we've replaced God with ourselves. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and then we begin to lie ourselves. The common element through this has been a, an element of fear. Out of fear, David's faith faltered. So he lied. What's more, David's request for aid now puts Ahimelech in danger. And that's the second aspect of David's sin that comes out here. David sacrificed someone else's security, someone else's safety, to preserve his own life. To protect himself, David's lie puts Ahimelech in danger and it's deadly danger that is, is brought upon Ahimelech unless you have any doubts about this maybe you know how the, how the history goes on because there was someone else there at the tabernacle that day a man named Doeg who was uh, the chief shepherd for Saul Nob is not very far from King Saul's land, and so here is one of Saul's men who is there and knows that Ahimelech gave aid to King Saul's enemy, David. What, uh, what's what's Doeg gonna do? Well, he reports it to Saul. And in the next chapter, we find that Saul's anger is then unleashed upon the priests of God. And he orders that they come to him to ask about what had happened. When they find out that Ahimelech gave aid to David, King Saul orders them to be slaughtered. And Doeg. It's the hand that accomplishes that. The frightening thing about this is that David recognized this and still went his way. Again, in the next chapter, in verse 22, when he found out about what Saul did, the death of all the priests. David says, I knew that day that Doeg would surely tell Saul. He goes on to recognize the consequences for his sin. I have caused the death of the priests. David will learn from this. we'll come back to it later. He'll live with the consequences. And I think that it's part of his growth and grace that he will come to the conviction one day that he will not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He will not. Even at the risk of his own life. That's not where he is right now. In this moment, as his life is at risk, he sacrifices the safety of the Himalek for his own life, for his own safety. He knew Doeg was there, and he understood what might happen, and he went, the other, went his own way. Commentator Philip says it oh, well. If helping David was likely to bring Ahimelech into danger, the priest had a right to know. David would have done well to disclose the truth, to seek the priest's prayers and advice. And it's hard to imagine godly counsel and prayer resulting in the actions that David went on to take. Because David continued the lie he did not tell. Ahimelech, the danger that he was in. He preserved his life with a lie, and a lie that endangered the priests. Ahimelech granted this request, and he granted it at the cost of his own life. Once more, let me pause to apply this. We are plagued with many things that make us afraid. I want to encourage you and urge you to see how the fear can make you short-sighted. David was short-sighted as to the consequences of his sin. And when we go through trials that terrify us, once more, I use that idea of our, our vision narrowing to focus just on myself, on my own interests, my own purposes. And we elevate our own interests and our own selves against the glory of God and of his purposes. We're overwhelmed by the terror of the tragedy with fate we face. And it can be so agonizing that you can't see beyond your own nose. We fail to see Lord, and so we persuade ourselves that whatever we do to preserve our own interests must be okay. Or maybe it's just to give us some relief from the agonizing situation that we are in. And so we propose a way to get out of that. A way that ranges into, into further fear and flights or anger or raging against God or against those around us or taking actions that bring others into danger. And we have no heed to the consequences that our actions might take. No heed to the harm that might do to our family our friends, our spouse, ourselves. We connect the dots in our own minds without prayer, without counsel from godly friends, and we forge ahead with our own wisdom. Consequences be damned. which leads to decisions much like David that do have costs, costs for him and for those around him. The third sin of David comes through then in those decisions. Much like David, we come to rely on the weapons of this world Just a little asterisk here. Uh, Ahimelech does give bread to David, and I want to come back to that at a later date, that uh, Jesus speaks of this and uses it in the life of Israel later. and I I want to come back to that later. So if you're wondering if I'm skipping it, I'm not, I'll come back to it uh, at a different time. Of one piece, though, is David's next decision. David relied on the weapons of this world. In this case, it was a sword, a sword of Goliath. So David padded his lie. Do you have any weapons here? I I brought neither sword nor any of my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. That was okay to ask for food. It was okay to, to ask for weapons, right? The, we, we, uh, we, we use tools. They're secondary causes. It's okay to have weapons. But David's request is not of faith. And that comes true. And Ahimelech answers the sword of David, or sword of Goliath of Philistine who you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take it, take it. for there's no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Can you see the irony here? It's a bitter irony, but it's a, it's an irony, isn't it? Earlier, when when Goliath defied the God of Israel, David acted in faith to face that enemy, and he turned down the weapons of the king. He turned those down. He didn't. Uh, wasn't accustomed to the armor and the and, and the swords. He had a sling that he was accustomed to. But it wasn't just because he was accustomed to that, it's because he knew that the Lord could deliver by, by armies, by weapons, by the simplest of, uh, of weapons. He didn't put his trust in those things, but he professed his trust in the living God. He knew that the enemies could not defy the living God. So the spirit of the Lord was was sustaining David, sustaining him to remember the promises that the Lord had made, the anointing that he had received, the purpose that was given to him. And he went to face Goliath full of that understanding that, that the Lord would have this victory, not the weapons of this world. The Lord would have it. And now he takes up the very sword of the enemy that he defeated. The very sword that was of no use to Goliath against God. The very sword that David drew out and used to cut off his head. When Ahimelech speaks, you you get the the sense of Ahimelech's understanding of what was going on here. An understanding that where Himelech was afraid that as, as God's anointed, he is speaking here to another of God's anointed and instructing David here. He says, yes, there's a weapon, but this weapon is the weapon of the enemy that you defeated in the Valley of Elah. It's here. It's wrapped up. It's behind the ephod which was a sign of of the futility of Goliath and his weapons. was laid at the feet, so to speak, of the living God. It's as if Ahimelech was saying, uh, there is a weapon here. The only weapon that's here is the weapon of this world. If you'll take it, take it. Uh, David's response is very different. It's not a response that says, um, this is a tool in the hand of the Lord that may God bless as I stand against God's enemies. No, he says, uh, Hamlet says, you can have this. It's What good is this in front of the living God, in a sense? But David says, yes, there's nothing like that. Give that to me. He takes in his hand the weapon of this world. And in a sense, depending on the strength of his own hand, he went to face his enemies. God was providentially ruling even in this. He was ministering to him through Ahimelech calling him to trust in that living God. The Lord was overruling even by Doeg's presence. It says that Doeg was, was detained at the tabernacle of the Lord. This meeting is not a meeting of chance. God was in it. Oh, if David had just remembered God's faithfulness. Oh, if we would just remember God's faithfulness. David could say before, the Lord delivered me from the lion and the bear and the, and, and, the, and the giant. Oh, if he had just remembered that he could trust in God to deliver him now. It may be that as he inquired of the Lord that, that God would send him away for a time. He would protect him by uh, by by absenting David from the life of Saul. God certainly had a purpose in that as well. But all David could see and all that we often see are the overwhelming situations. And again, I urge you to see how fear gives birth to sin. Sin of unbelief, of lying, of putting others in danger, here entrusting in the weapons of this world and in our own strength. This is not a very pretty picture of the man after God's own heart. But before closing today, let me make two final applications. First is that the path of faith will not be free from fear and heartache. Jesus never promised you that you would have an easy life. Jesus himself did not have an easy life. But he faced those fearful situations full of faith and knowing that his father was always with him. And when he faced those fearful circumstances, he availed himself of the help of the living God. A careful reading of the scripture tells you that Jesus calls you to take up your cross and follow after him. Cross is, is a path of fear and of hardship, isn't it? It's not a path of of ease and comfort and prosperity. The Lord blesses some of us with those things, but he does not say that you will have a path of life that is free from fear and heartache. It says that in following after him you will fall under the same hatred and persecution that the world hurled at him. It says that you should expect trouble and opposition from without and that you should be on guard against fear and against trouble from within. Do not be deceived. If you expect your life to be easy, then when trouble comes, you will not understand the fear that then assails you. Why is this happening? Where is God? What must I now do to deliver myself? By faith, God reminds you of his promise and of his presence. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. And the second warning that I would give to you is that when unchecked, the fear does indeed give birth to sin. In a sense, the situations that we face are not sinful in and of themselves, but an occasion for sin, an occasion for sinful fear and for other sins that then grow up out of that fertile ground. We begin to forget the sovereign grace of God, his promises, his anointing. And it isn't a very pretty picture to look at David here, but there is much instruction in it. Even godly people can fall into fear and from there into sin as well. We do tend to get tunnel vision and we tend to elevate ourselves and diminish God in the midst of that fear. And it is an aspect where part of checking that fear is 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 a path of of diminishing yourself and elevating god in your eyes to deny those desires that come naturally to us born out of our sinful flesh to put those to death and take up your cross and follow after christ in god's goodness the Lord understands our weakness, for the Son of God became man and has suffered as we have, so that he would understand those fears. And he came so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Today, you may be bound up in fear. You may be in a situation that you you shudder to tell anyone else, that, that has narrowed your vision so that you can't see anything else. Well, my prayer is that you would see the dangerous situation that that is and the sin that may be born out of that that you would lift up your eyes to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is, he is there with you, overruling even this terror that you are facing. And know that he is with you. Know that he is your Savior. Take your fear to Christ. and Ask him to help you respond in right ways as you humbly rely on his grace. Let's pray. O oh, Lord God, grant us your peace in the midst of the terrors that we face. We ask O oh God that you would lift our eyes up to you and we are reminded of of how often the psalms do that very thing. We're thankful that here in your providence that we see a man of God, David, wrestling with these sins that are so common to us. We pray, O oh God, that you would instruct us through this that we might see Jesus, our Redeemer, and lift our eyes to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing Psalm 56b. We sang the first half of this psalm already. And I want you to, again, remember David in this, recognize yourself in this, and and see God's presence in all of this. Lord, you have recorded all my ways, all the pathways I took. And in knowing God's providence and presence, the psalm goes on to say, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, and God whose word I praise and The use of God's presence and his promises that bind us to the Lord. Let's stand and sing Psalm 56b.